Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. I was studying this week and realizing that our theme is continuing uh, with war. War and combat, we see a lot of that in Joshua because he was a great military leader and God had anointed him to lead the conquest of the promised land. And so um, last week we talked about victory. We're talking about victory again today. We're also talking a little bit about war. And, you know, in our history, in our recorded history of the last 3,400 years, there has been about 268 years of world peace. Out of 3,400 years, there's maybe been 268 years of world peace. That's only 8% of recorded history has known worldwide peace. 108 million people died as a result of war, uh, whether they were civilians or military, in the 20th century alone. 108 million people dead. War is part of the fall. Right? God didn't create war. War is part of man's rebellion against God. And we see that. And some wars are just and some are unjust. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I think it's important that, that uh, we, as, as many of you members in the military and, and uh, uh, we as people, we make sure that our governments are on the side of just wars. Right? We make sure we vote accordingly and we hold our nation and our leaders accountable to fight wars that are just. But Wars are also started by very, very evil men, aren't they? And sometimes God uses armies, both evil and righteous, to fight down and oppress evil around the world. The five most peaceful places in the world to live, according to a 2018 study, are Iceland. Of course, Iceland is peaceful. There's five people who live there. New Zealand, full of hobbits. Austria, Portugal, and Denmark, and there's, the list actually went on, but these are the, the five most peaceful places to live. I, I have to admit, I would love to visit New Zealand. It just seems like an awesome place to visit. We have people who visited Portugal this week, and they had very peaceful times on the beach and in the sun, missing the, the German spring. Uh, yeah, it's probably like 100 degrees in Texas today, isn't it? 90 or something. Get it out of your head, Matt. Get it out of your head. But many people in this room have experienced war personally. You've, we've, the United States, anyway, has been at war for decades, and uh, uh, we're in our, we're definitely in the decades. And 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 uh, some of you have seen combat, some not. But regardless, the stress of it all has been upon you, and uh, you know what it's like to be in a position where your life is on the line. And Israel is also. No stranger to war fighting. They are no stranger and they were no stranger. Israel has seem, seemingly always been at war, surrounded by her enemies. And in, in the Bible, we have it's no different than it is really today. This is a land that God has 
given Israel, and now they have to go conquest it. And we learned, conquer it, we learned uh, last week that these people weren't just ready to give up their land, right? Just because this, these other people said, God said, this is ours. They weren't willing to give it up. Now, a few smart ones just knew that the Lord was behind it all and kind of eased it, tried to ease the transition a little bit. Some tried to negotiate, some just out outright deceived Joshua, uh, and we're going to learn about today about how a nation, uh, Gibeon, actually uh, deceived Joshua a little bit and to, to spare their lives, but the whole nation of them becomes slaves to Israel. And this idea of war and biblically justified war and the death that ensues, uh, you know, on God's command can be a little hard for us to stomach. I understand that. But you have to remember that these people that God is you know, basically uh, taking away their land and giving it to Israel, that this has always been Israel's land. They were exiled from it. They're coming back. They're taking it. You know, they went to Egypt. Now they're coming back to take their land. And this is their land. And the people who inhabit these lands are very, very evil. And so God is not only giving Israel the land, but he's also punishing the rebellion of the people in these lands. And so here we come to Joshua chapter 10, verse 1, and we're, we're continuing into the conquest of Canaan. And the, Gibeon, the Gibeonites had already deceived Joshua. They had already said, hey, look, basically we, they said, we've, came, we've come from far away. We know that God is with you. Would you please spare us and spare our land? It turns out Gibeon is basically their neighbor across the street. I mean, they're just right there. But they came, and Joshua promised to spare them, and so he must honor his word, and he does spare them. But again, they become slaves. But after Gibeon, a great city aligns themselves uh, with Joshua, the, the other armies in the area start feeling threatened by this. And so they come against Gibeon, and Joshua honors his pledge to them and decides to fight for them. And so that's where we're at. That's kind of the setting of, of chapter 10 in Joshua. So let's read it together, starting in verse 1. We'll go down to verse 8. As soon as Adonai Zedek, the, uh, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua captured Ai and had... Uh, devoted it to destruction, uh, doing to Ai and its king what he had done to Jericho and its king. And now the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai and its, all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, said to Haram, uh, Hoham, excuse me, king of Hebron, to Param, the king of Jermuth, and Zephiah, king of Lachish, I'm doing pretty good, and to, the, <laughs> to Debir, king of Elgon, saying, now see, you guys probably think my pastor should know all these words. No, okay, no, we don't talk like this. Uh, saying, come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. Verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jeremoth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgaz, Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell 
in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and they and all the mighty men of valor. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. God here is promising yet another victory. Now, Israel had not always experienced victories in their conquest. When they disobeyed God, they we see uh, with the sin of, uh, was it the sin of, uh, what was that guy's name? In, ver- in chapter 7, um, we see that Israel eventually defeats uh, Ai, but they at first are defeated by them. And then Achan sins by taking some of the treasured things for himself, and he keeps it. And so they're, they're defeated in their next battle. All right. And so disobedience, uh, God has promised it, but in their disobedience, God also uh, uh, removes his hand of protection from them and allows them to be defeated, even though eventually they do repent and they do win the victory. But here God is promising yet another victory to Israel. And Israel moves forward by faith. The odds are always stacked against them. And I'm thinking of even in recent history, the Six-Day War against Israel, where all the nations around Israel came right after their independence and attacked them, and they beat them back. I mean, that was pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Even with help of other nations, this little tiny nation beat back six great armies. Um, Israel is always outnumbered, always outgunned, and here they are again, outnumbered and outgunned, but they move forward by faith. They, they know that God has given, this, them, the, uh, given them this land. And we, as the people of God today, must also move forward in God's promises and take by faith what God has promised to give us, right? Now, God has not promised us things. That's the... Th- that, you know, God has promised us his, himself. He's promised to bring us into a right relationship with himself. God has promised to give us victory as we also are obedient to his call to go into the world and preach the gospel. He's, he's told us that he'll give us favor and victory in that as well. And we need to move forward in faith, knowing that we will have victories. Now, there will be casualties, right? There are casualties. Sometimes our pride is a casualty. Sometimes our... Um, determination is sometimes our emotional state is a casualty but God has called us to move forward and take what he has promised by faith we have to believe that God is able to help us before we'll move forward into circumstances that are too much for us to handle if we feel like we are alone we will never take on more than we can alone but if we believe God is with us then we will move forward in faith, taking ground that we have no business taking. Amen. Take, making sweeping changes and huge victories in areas that we thought were impossible. But if we would just cling to the promises of God and move forward in what he has promised. As we receive the offering today, I challenge you to be generous. Giving is one of these areas, right? And if this makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. If it helps you, it doesn't make me any more comfortable talking about it. But this is one area where we really put God to the test, right, as far as our finances, because sometimes we are called and our heart tells us to give more than we think is able. We are able to give, but God, if we will do that, I mean, I could. Nick came up a few weeks ago and talked about it, about how when he really decided to tithe, that he never missed that money. When we gave last 
was it last when we gave two weeks ago to the Hales, we gave a significant amount to that effort. I, I want to tell you, last week that amount has been returned to us uh, threefold. Uh, and uh, God is faithful to put into our hands what he knows we will steward well on his behalf. Does that make sense? And I want to tell you, there's great, there's some great freedom in that. Because when we know what we, when we are doing with, with God's resources, we are doing well with those, then what we do with the part that's left over for us, we can spend that kind of guilt-free. We should be responsible. We should not sin with it. But if we want something that's nice, even though other people might think it's too nice, who cares? Who cares? I'm honoring God. I'm faithful with my finances. I don't have to answer to you, right? I answer to God. And he puts these things in my hands. Be free in that. There's freedom in that. That, that for example, that all was free. It has nothing to do really with my sermon. Okay? But this generation of Israelites had learned to trust God and do things his way, the right way. Betsy Ten Boom, if you don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, uh, she was a Dutch woman and her family, just a great family of faith, hid Jewish people during the German occupation of the Netherlands and, and hid them. And as a result, when they're caught, they suffer the same result as the Jewish people did. And they were in all sent to concentration camps. And Betsy and Corey were sent to the same camp. And Corey, uh, Betsy is Corey's sister, a great woman of faith in her own right. And she said this, there are no ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. The center of his will is, is, is our only safety. Now, this woman died in this concentration camp. And here she is encouraging us to stay in the center of God's will. We see it in Israel. When they're doing God's will, they have favor, they have blessing. It, the, I want to tell you, church, the same is true today. The safest place is in the center of his palm. Now, his palm may move, but staying in the center of it, staying under the cloud, the cloud was also moving as Israel was moving through the desert. The cloud was moving, and it was taking him to places that were uncomfortable for them, and some of them made that known. We're not comfortable, God. We're sick of manna. We're sick of quail. We're sick of wandering the desert, blah, 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 blah. But as they stayed with the cloud, as they stayed under the cloud by day and the, the cloud by night, then God's blessing was upon them, and they could trust in that. Israel, over these many years in the desert, now entering into the promised land, had learned that God's promises are true. Not an easy lesson for them, and not for us either. Israel had learned through trial and tribulation that God's promises are true. Have you? Have you learned that God's promises are are true. When I was learning to play hockey and learning how to ice skate, you have to learn to trust your edge. When you skate, all of the tur- the sharp turns and all of the, you know, the power, power and direction is determined by the where the edge of your skate is. But to get on the edge of your skate, you kind of got to lean into it. And you're afraid because physics tell you that if I lean into it, I'm going to skid into the boards, right? I'm going to crash. I'm going to fall down. And certainly that happens a lot while you're learning that. 
But eventually you learn to, what hockey players and skiers both know, you learn to trust your edge, that that edge is going to hold. And it's going to hold the weight of a big guy, even like me, in ice. It's going to hold. And you learn to trust that. But first, you got to lean into it. And church, I want to tell you that you need to lean into God's promises. You need to lean into them. And you need to kind of take a step of faith and put yourself out there to be hurt and be let down. Now, that seems dangerous to us. But can I tell you that God is behind the promise? That there's not much risk involved when God is behind the promise? So lean into it. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? I love what Chad and Jeremy said a couple weeks ago uh, in our men's conference, and then Chad again said it on Sunday. He said, if you've been trying and trying the same things over and over and it's not working, why not try something new? Why not try something new? Aren't you? I'm telling you, following Christ in your own strength is exhausting, and that's why people give up. That's why they turn their back. That's why they, they go back. Because they're doing it in their own strength. It was never meant to do that. You are called to lean in and trust God. No matter what you face or what we face, we have the victory if we will trust God and not give up. Galatians says it this way, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let me tell you, everybody feels like giving up. Everybody feels like giving up. One of my good friends who was uh, Army Special Forces and went through the long course uh, of hikes and carrying tremendous weights on their back and doing the, these just crazy hikes, I asked him, how did he do it? How did he, how, I mean, didn't he just want to quit? Why didn't he just drop out? What's the difference between you and the dozens of other guys who dropped out and didn't finish the course? He says, all I would do is pick a place on the side of the road with a sign or a fence post or something, and I would just march to that. And then I would look for another point, and I would just make it to that. If I could just keep that in my head, I'm just going to do this little, you know, this hundred feet, this thousand feet, and then do the next, and the next, and the next. And next thing you know, 27 kilometers or miles is gone with 70 pounds on your back. And that's how he did it. Church, if we will not give up, but we will just keep our eyes on that next that next obstacle that the Lord has in front of us to strengthen us, to encourage us, maybe to even conquer something on his behalf, whatever it is, we just keep our eyes on that and we, until, we, until we come to it and we, we pass it and we get past it and then there's something else. We want to probably get to the place where we just get to kick back and relax in the sun. That doesn't happen, right? That doesn't happen. This is a, a journey. We're following the Lord. You might retire from your job, but you'll never retire from being a Christian until Jesus comes back or you're in his presence upon death. God promises victory. Will we lean in and trust his promises? Now go with me. To, we're going to continue on to uh, Joshua, Joshua 10, 9 through 15. Verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now I was in the Air Force. I didn't do much marching. I'll be honest with you, but I've seen lots of Lord of the Rings, okay? Lots of it. And Rohan is a little concerned about marching against Mordor after the long trip, right? They have to get there refreshed. Fellow nerds say amen, right? So they get there, and they finally come to the Black Gate, and they're ready to fight, but they made sure that they were rested up. I want to tell you that Israel has been moving around and fighting people for a long time here. And now they make this long march and they, they have to do it suddenly. 
right? So they're using, like, I'm sure they pro- these other kings are like, Israel cannot get here this fast. And so Joshua marches these people and gets them there. And they, after marching all night, they, they come up to Gilgal. And verse 10 says this, And the Lord threw Gilgal into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as uh, Zekah and Makedah. That's fun to say, Makedah. Verse 11, And they fled before Israel while they were going down to the ascent of Beth Haran. And the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, son, stand still. Now, A lot of you are like, I've said that. No, S-U-N, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of that city. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. It is not written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Verse 14, there had been no day like it before or since. The Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. Now, God promises victory. And we learned a couple weeks ago that God who created nature commands nature. And he'll fight on your behalf. And nothing is beyond him. Nothing is beyond him. And so here we are, again, insurmountable, just totally difficult circumstances and God delivers them by making it rain hail hailstones big enough to kill people now I grew up initially in Illinois I don't talk about this in public or at parties but I I I I guess I'm technically from Illinois which is how we say it just kidding it's Illinois but we 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 and we had some big hail one year I remember in the 70s we had some hail that was like baseball size and every car in the neighborhood, every window was broken. Cars were completely destroyed. I remember my dad had a, like a rag top, some kind of car. I don't remember what it was, but it was just destroyed. And you, I mean, if you were outside that day, you were, you, you could have maybe been killed, I guess, you know, technically. But here we have hailstones so big that they are killing th- thousands of people, right? And God is making it rain hail. He is literally fighting for Israel here. He knew the army was tired. But he honored their faith to go and fight. Church, it's easy to give up when we're tired. It's easy to quit. It's easy to lose sight of the promises of God. I've done it. You've done it. We do it. But if we will stick it out, no matter if we're tired, whether we feel like it or not, if we'll stick it out and look for the Lord to fight for us, I want to tell you, he will show up. He will show up. This campaign, if you look at a map, many of your Bibles have maps of the conquest of Canaan. Check that out. Look how much territory they covered. They didn't have modern mechanized armies. Okay? They didn't have water buffalo trucks. They didn't have any of this. They're marching around a desert 
fighting people, marching again, fighting some more. There's no way they could have done this. It would have been physically impossible. Where's Rick at? Our resident logistics guy. He's around here somewhere. Anyway, oh, he's downstairs doing Usher stuff. But, you know, this is, imp- this is an impossible thing. They're exhausted, but God shows up. He knows that they're tired, and he takes care of them. We need to remember that we, like Israel, are not alone. Even if we feel alone, there are gonna, there's going to be times where your family is going to let you down, your best friends are going to let you down, and I, I, I dare to say maybe even the church will let you down. Maybe even I let you down. But God will never, never let you down. Never. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. How do I know this? He has promised it. He's promised it. And his promise is true. Basically, every word out of his mouth is a promise. Not basically. Every word out of his mouth is a promise. And you can take it to the bank. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, that doesn't mean you won't feel alone. It doesn't mean you won't feel forsaken. But church, remember, you are not. You are not forsaken. You are not alone. Israel wasn't. You're not. And God reminds them of this by stopping the sun so they can continue to defeat the armies. You know why? You know why he had to do that? They didn't have NVGs. They didn't have night vision goggles, right? And you couldn't fight the enemy if you can't see them. So Joshua speaks to the sun. He says, stop. And God honors it so they can complete their mission. I'm serious. If, why doesn't the sun stop now? We, don't have, we have NVGs. We don't need it. I'm just kidding, right? But the sun stood still. Now, NVG stands for night vision goggles, by the way. And, and so the sun stands still. They defeat the army, and it's over. Our God is the same God. How do we know this? Because he promises, I don't change. He says, I don't change. He's the same God. He'll make the sun stand still. He still speaks to nature. He still speaks to the wind. He still speaks to the waves. He still speaks to our circumstances and delivers us. He will give you the victory. Joshua 23, we're going to skip ahead just a hair. 23.10 says this, One man of you puts to flight a thousand, for it is the Lord God who fights for you just as he promised you. One man puts to flight a thousand because the Lord is on your side. The Lord is fighting with you. Remember that next time you face circumstances that are beyond your control and you're starting to feel hopeless. Remember the saying from a few weeks ago, to despair is to turn your back on God. To despair is to turn your back on God. There is always hope because we have Jesus. Two amens. Two amens to that. There's always hope because we have Jesus. Joshua 11.23. Let's get... Let's skip ahead a little bit more. One verse. Joshua, he took the whole land according to all the Lord had spoken to Moses. What a great military leader. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. We can get a wrong idea of God through, the, through Joshua and his conquest of Canaan. God's ultimate design in this entire conquest, is to bring peace. 
is to bring peace. He is a, the God of peace. Our warrior God not only brings the victory, but he brings peace. Now, life is hills and valleys. Emotions are hills and valleys, you know, and I'm a very emotional guy. Like I can go from this very top part to this very down part in a very quick fashion, right? And some of us are like that and some of us are steady. My wife is steady. I'm so thankful for that because we would be a train wreck of a couple if we were both like me. And many of you are probably similar. You have somebody who's like this and you have somebody who's like this, right? It's similar. And the people who are like this, these people drive us crazy, right? It's like, why can't you get into this? Why aren't you more, ex- why aren't you more angry? Why aren't you more excited? And they're just like, eh, whatever, you know? They drive us crazy. But as I've grown older, I've learned that life is hills and valleys. And I think I've calmed down a little, a little bit. Would you agree with that? I've calmed down a little bit. And what are you going to say, no, for all these people? <laughs> but you said it. So I've calmed down a little bit. And so these, these valleys and hills are a little different. I want to tell you our faith is similar. It follows a similar pattern. And we would love, now I'm reminded of the transfiguration. When Jesus is transfigured before his three best friends. And on this hill, Peter, I believe, says, let's build a tabernacle. So you, we can just stay here. You can stay transfigured. And we'll just stay here with you. And Jesus says no. And immediately you know, he commands them to walk back down with him. We would love to stay on the hill with Peter. We would like to stay in those spiritual highs, those times where we just feel so close to God. Our intimacy with God is just at a, we've just next leveled the whole intimacy with God thing, and we want to stay there. We want to maintain that. But I want to tell you that we, as people of God, are valley dwellers. We are not designed to stay on the mountain. We're not designed to stay on the hill. The valley, the the hill is where we get great vision. We get vision for what God sees. You know, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept. Jesus had, he saw, he saw a city that had abandoned him. He saw with spiritual eyes. And when we're on the mountain, we get to see with spiritual eyes. And sometimes that causes us to weep for what we see. Sometimes it gives us, we can see instantly what God wants to do. I remember the first time I walked into this room. And I walked into this building, and Marcus was with me, I believe. And we walked in, and instantly I said, we can put the stage here. We can put chairs here. We can put this here. We can do this, 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 and this. Instantly, there was a vision for the space. Now my vision is to make it like twice as big, right? But I mean, we, we had a, instantly we had a vision for the space. We could see. But then it had to happen, we had to work with the fire marshal in the city, and we had to raise the capital and all of that. The vision is just there to be that motivation for our time in the valley. And I tell you, I know a lot of you feel like you're just always in the valley. It's just like, ah, I just, I, it's, just it's never ending. This, this work, this labor is never ending. You definitely have to make time for the for the mountain. You definitely have to make time to hear from God. You definitely need to make time for spiritual things and that you can get with God. You can get a great vision for God that'll sustain you in the valley. But the valley is where we fight for the vision. It's where we build the kingdom of God and it's where we spend ourselves. Paul said, I am like broken bread and poured out wine. 
What he's saying is I am the, I, basically what we all, what a lot of us say, right? Like we're the only Jesus people are going to see, right? I am there to feed others. I am there to help others. I am to be salt. I am to be light. I am there to help other people. And that causes us to sacrifice what we might want in our freedom and our comfort. We cannot live on the hill. Any effort to do so will lead to disappointment because that's not God's plan for your life. Monasticism, being a monk, is not God's will for your life, right? If there's any monks in here, I'm sorry. Right? Of course there's not, right? But that whole idea where we're just... It's so antithetical to such a huge part of the gospel. You know, I, I really don't even understand how it's justified. And I, I'm not here to like bash monks and, and their dedication, but they are removing themselves from God's mission, which is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. They're missing a big chunk of why they're saved in the first place is to tell other people. Our peace is in Jesus, even in the deepest, darkest valley where we can't see the mountain, our peace is in Jesus. He says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He gives us these promises. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, period. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, that's true. When we put our eggs in his basket, when we trust in his promises, when we follow him with our whole heart and reckless abandon, his burden is light. The reason the burden seems so heavy to some Christians is because you are doing it on your own. That's not God's plan. It's not his plan that you do it alone. His burden is light. But you got to be all in on this thing. You got to be all in. You can't be walking the fence, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. That's the burden. That it, just saying that sounds exhausting to me. Just constantly remember where I am and who I am in different situations in my life. I'm at work now, so I talk like them. I laugh at what they laugh at, you know. I act like an idiot. I know I'm acting like an idiot. I would never talk this way about my wife, and I certainly wouldn't talk this way uh, in, in front of my pastor. But I'm at work now, and this is work. And then you come to church, and you're playing church. You're playing one part here and one part there. That's exhausting. Just be, just be you following Jesus. Right? Don't just be you. Be you following Jesus. Live life in a transformed way, and you will find the burden being light. It's the same thing like I was talking earlier with the money. Instead of always worrying about pleasing everybody else with it, just honor God with it, and don't worry about anything else. Just honor him. You know, boil down in the simplest form. Of course, it's not this simple. It's love Jesus, do what you want. If you love Jesus first, then what you do is going to be okay, right? If you love Jesus first, that's the key. If you love Jesus, you won't sin, you won't go to strip clubs, you won't do stupid stuff, you won't drink too much, because you're putting him first. Everything else is liberty. 
Now, there's definitely people in this room who feel like they're fighting battles. You may be fighting physical battles. It seems like every day I wake up, I'm fighting a new physical battle. I'm 45. It doesn't seem like it should be. I, I know I'm not old. I just feel it, all right? Uh, physical battles, emotional battles, family battles. Some of you are fighting for your marriages, for your kids, for your loved ones. Battles exist on many different levels, not always violent confrontations. Regardless of the battle, you have to turn away from relying on your own strength because you are not enough. You have to trust the Lord to bring you the victory. Pray for those who, are, who have made themselves your enemy. Pray for them. Pray for them. I hate when Stacy reminds me of that. You know, we just need to pray for them. <sighs> She's right. She's right. I want to choke them out. She wants to pray for them. For those people who have made us their enemies. 1 Corinthians says this, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him for the victory. Your kid's gone astray? Trust the Lord for the victory. Your marriage is struggling? Trust the Lord for the victory. You're struggling with depression? Trust Lord, the Lord for the victory. You're physically hurting? Trust, Lord for, trust the Lord for healing. We still believe in miracles, Amen. We still believe that the God of Israel, the God that we've read about in this Bible, the God we've studied in Joshua, is still the God of today and who is still able to do miracles. Your son, your daughter is not beyond the reach of the Lord. Your situation is not beyond his reach and he is not unaware. Nothing surprises our God. Nothing surprises him. As followers of Christ, we're called to share Jesus with all who will listen. That's an important caveat. We are called to share Jesus with those who will, who will listen. To those who don't listen, kind of shake the dust off, right? Move on. Do your best. But those who will listen, share the gospel. Let them know that they too can have victory in Jesus and that his burden is light. The reason their life is hard is because they're doing it all the wrong way. Do it His way. Learn like Israel did. Do it His way, and He'll bring victory. Amen? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.